Mental health can be a difficult topic to talk about. I'd like to change that. I'm Marcus Pipworth and welcome to the Ministry of Change podcast. Hello. Welcome to the Ministry of Change or welcome back to the Ministry of Change if you've been here before. Um, I usually like to have these conversations in person with people. I think there's something really special about sitting in the room. There's something really intimate about sitting in a room with someone and having a conversation about the difficult bits of life and how to navigate it. And But like, it's not always possible to do that. And today's conversation is an example of where that wasn't possible. Uh, the conversation today is with Bipolar Barbie, who is a mental health advocate and social media influencer who lives in Australia so as much as I'd like to have just hopped over to Australia to have this talk I didn't have any money so I couldn't so um we set up a call and we 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 did it online and and it was great it was really nice something really sort of exciting about waking up in the morning and speaking to someone in Australia in their evening and um and uh it was also really nice to chat to her um around uh, the sort of things she does um so she i I, i've known about bipolar barbie for a while i've followed her stuff she's on spread out over all the different social media platforms but i think the thing i mainly knew her from was instagram and so she has she's got a huge following she's got like eighty thousand people which uh, makes mine look very measly but um yeah, so I think it's really important that people like her exist because she has a big platform and so she's able to spread her message far far and wide and I think her, her story is very inspiring and the work that she does is very inspiring. Um, I got a lot out of this conversation and I hope you will do too. And also, an extra bit of excitement at the end, um, um, she kindly shares some spoken word that she's done and she ha- hadn't done... That was the first time she had really shared it live on on a, on a podcast one on one thing with me. So I felt really privileged, and yeah, just look forward to that. But all the stuff in between is also great. So I'm just going to stop waffling now, and I'm going to lead you into the conversation with bipolar Barbie and myself. Oh no, sorry, one last bit of waffling. If you do like the podcast or listening to it, then please do go onto iTunes or your podcasting app and like review and subscribe that really helps me to spread these stories further and also i have my patreon page which is how i'm trying to fund this so if you'd like to help support me to make uh more spaces to talk about mental health then i've created a short link which is bit.ly forward slash support marcus and uh if you've gone there and anything you can donate a dollar or two then that is really useful to me or loads of money if you want to. Um, but also there's no pressure and I would like you to just enjoy the conversation. So here we are for real now, Bipolar Barbie and myself. I live in a small country town called Wood- Wugulga. Nice, good name. <laughs> but, um, and it's I guess it's kind of near Coffs Harbour and like our claim to fame is like the big banana. Because you know how Australia has like big things? Yeah. So, um, yeah. Yeah, we're, we're, we're the big banana. Um, and, like, we don't have bananas really here anymore because, like, I don't know, like, th- there's, like, a really large Indian population here and they were just, like, all the banana farmers. And then a while ago, 
they just decided to plant blueberries and now like blueberries are worth so much more money. So they've just gotten rid of all the bananas and they've started like growing blueberries. So we went from being Australia's largest like banana farming area to like Australia's largest blueberry farming area and like the largest in the Southern hemisphere. So yeah, it's just, that's what our town's all about now, blueberries. But they haven't replaced the big banana yet. Yeah, they're, they're like, do we get a big blueberry? And I'm kind of like, I don't know. Do you really need a giant blueberry? It's just like what a giant sort of blacky purple blob. Like, <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. The town, I'm, the city I'm, well, I grew up in the countryside, but the city near me, Milton Keynes, it's one of its claims to fame is some concrete cows that someone made <laughs> at the side of the road. Uh, I think they're less pop, they're less well known now, but for like the first. It's a new city, so for the first like thirty years of its life, it was just referred to as the place with the concrete cows. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. So it's nice. It's good to be my big bananas and concrete cows. Nice. Well, one day, hopefully, maybe I can just take my Ministry of Change project there because I just like. Um, I, I I feel like I can't really go anywhere without just having conversations about sort of mental health or like what it means to be human and like how to navigate all the crap that life throws at us anyway so it's nice to incorporate that into a different country as well because uh, basically yeah. it's an excuse to go on holiday and do what I like yeah yeah that's it I mean I like what is that kind of like over there in the sense that I feel like in Australia if you're open to it I feel like if you came here and you know you particularly had like a van or something done up with like you know what you were about on it I feel like you're quite easily start conversations about it and you would you would have a lot of content like I know I can just randomly strike up a conversation with someone at like the bus stop you know or like a random hitchhiker that I pick up or someone I meet at the beach so like is that is that similar in the UK or do you think it's it's very different there I, I think it's similar I think like actually people are I think there's a misconception that people don't want to talk about it I think what I found is more that people don't really know where to talk about it or how to talk about it. So yeah. like, cause people often ask me, how do you find people to like come and talk like on like recorded conversations about mental health? Like it's like, it's like, where do you search out these, these sort of, uh, these this small group of people that want to talk about it. I'm like, I don't, I don't do any searching really. Like it's like, like they find you. they're there. Like, I mean, I've, this is I mean this is what I I mentioned the email like one of the reasons I started doing this was because I found that like I didn't really know that you could talk about it or have a space to talk about it for years and that I could see how damaging that was so I created the space and I think like like I mean there are people which aren't ready to talk about it but there's so many people which which are so those people that are ready to talk about it I feel like I just want like to talk to them about it and then if those conversations can help people get to a point where they also want they also realize that okay it's not a shameful thing to talk about actually it's empowering to myself but also to other people to see this conversation going so now i didn't i i i think uh yeah i think it's similar like if you start the conversations the conversations happen but a lot of people yeah, just yeah. don't realize that those conversations can happen or are allowed to happen or that there are other people willing willing to sort of have those conversations too so yeah, I mean, how how did you um how did you first like start your um um sort of the bipolar Barbie thing? How did that come about? I mean, the actual um 
sort of the online presence? Yeah, I guess. I don't know. It was maybe like two, two and a half years ago now. Um, and it sort of had like a bit of a funny start to it. Um, I was really manic at the time. I was having this severe manic episode. I was living in this like derelict house, like for free, me and a, like a friend, my housemate were like squatting in her mum's like half renovated house, like without a floor and everything. And, you know, was so broke. And I was just like painting all the time. And, you know, she kept saying to me, like, why don't you like social media? Like, why don't you just go on social media and be one of those like famous social media people? She's like, you can just dance around in your underpants. Like people just pay you to be like hot online. And I was manic. So I was all like, hell yeah, I could be Insta famous. Like, you know, and I went along with it until I got hospitalized. And then I was kind of just like, holy shit what have I done? I am no longer full of this like self-confidence and self-esteem. And now I'm just back to like self-loathing me feeling like super embarrassed and, and not manic and provocative and, you know, everything you are when you're in that just euphoric state on another planet. Um, and I still had like a bunch of photos that I took. So I kind of kept it up for like a little bit and it just got sort of so exhausting to like live this lie. You know, I just, that wasn't me and, you know, that type of person isn't me either, like posting sort of revealing pictures. And after a while, I I just kind of, I guess, started to filter through with how I was really feeling. And people sort of started following me and saying things like, you know what, we follow you because of the things that you say, not because of how you look. And they really encouraged me to kind of dig deeper into like that writing side because I'd never written, um, about anything I was told that I was shit at writing so I never like followed it so I just kind of yeah like with the encouragement from the people that were engaging with my content I just sort of threw that whole idea out and like redid my page and just started blogging I guess every day about how I was really feeling and I think the more support that I received from that online community the braver I actually became in sort of like what I shared. And I just got to a point where I was just like, you know what? I don't really hold anything back now. It's just like, I'm, you know, like an open book. I just share like whatever's going on because, you know, I think people in my own life didn't want to hear about it. They didn't want to talk about it. And, you know, my doctors, my psychologists particularly, they're like, do you think in a way the fact that no one in your life wanted to hear about it, you kind of made a point to make the whole world listen to you? Yeah. You know, so yeah, that's, it kind of started in a really weird way, but it just, you know, it blossomed into something that I'm really proud of and, you know, have been able to connect with so many people on something, you know. How do you balance doing it? Cause like, um, I guess it's something that I'm, interested in because it's something that I sort of um question quite a lot with what I do is that how do you deal with that sort of um portraying yourself very vulnerably on social media but then also um dealing with the I don't know maybe you don't experience it but like the the sort of the pressures of social media like I sort of find that I go through phases of being very active on social media and then just feeling like I need to like stay away from it. Like, just, is that something that you find? Oh, definitely. It's something that I struggle with a lot. And, um, you know, it's something that I've, I've really been working on and 
I think particularly at the moment, I'm in a point where it's like, I've had all these like little projects, like, um, uh, like my books, you know, I've, I've written a bunch of books. It's like they're in that editing phase, which is taking longer than it took to write them because I'm editing them myself. So there's little projects like that, that I've had going on my life that I've put on the back burner to like work on the social media. Cause it's kind of like this instant thing. Whereas everything else is like a long-term project. Um, so I'm kind of taking a little bit of a step back at the moment to focus on that. And it, it is really hard to do all of it. Like I've got YouTube channels and Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, website. Like it's, it's so hard, but I don't, I don't know. I think it just really depends what mood I'm in. And I think it's like being mindful of that mood. Um, sometimes I am doing a lot on social media and it might not necessarily be a good thing because you can kind of get sucked into that vortex where you sign it, like you stop living in the real world. Um, you know, you stop taking care of yourself because all you can think about is what other people think of you. Um, sometimes I kind of go down the rabbit hole of like being really, uh, like maybe jealous is the wrong word, but you know, like I start hating myself because of how you like other girls are portrayed on like Instagram, for example. And then I feel really bad when I see celebrities and I get like just body image and just general like self-worth issues. So I have to be really mindful of that type of content. And I try to have like a no scrolling rule, which takes like a hell of a lot of uh, self-discipline but I really try and like not get into that scroll bar. Like I just go on there and I'm like, okay, I'm checking my content and then I'm escaping. So I try not to use social media beyond like the work that I'm doing, um, which I think you'll find will like halve your amount of time that you end up kind of spending on it. Um, but also when I'm going through periods, like when I'm really busy, I know like we have to talk quietly because social media doesn't like this, but sometimes I'll like automate like some like, pre-made posts. If I know that there's like this week, I've got a bunch of pre-made posts because it's like my sister's wedding and I'm just like overwhelmed and, you know, I got shit to do. So I was like, you know what? I'm just going to take like a week off. And I just kind of, I, I pre-made some posts so that, you know, I could just deal with that. Um, but I mean, I'm at the point now as well where it's like I've got so many followers, like I really want to be replying to like everyone's like comments. And I mean, I get like hundreds of comments and, and direct messages a day just on like Instagram alone. And it's it's like it's so hard to keep up. And it's kind of funny when people like expect you to like, I don't know how to say this, but like you know, like everyone wants your attention as well. And like some people abuse me like, oh, you didn't get back to my message or you didn't reply to my comment. And it's kind of like, dude, seriously, like, or you're not following me. And it's like, I've got like over 80,000 followers and you can only follow like 7,000 people at a time. Anyway. I guess because what you're doing, you're um, sort of uh, connecting with lots of fun people that are also vulnerable and also have their own stuff to work out. And like, it's, I guess there's a line between like, like what, where your responsibilities lie, like who, like what, where does it, where does it go over into a point that, okay, I need to like focus on my own self care and you need to focus on yours. And I guess that line can get blurred 
quite easily with people who I guess they have a very intimate connection with you because they see you a lot and so they're like yeah I guess that's something yeah which is a complicated system to work with yeah it's kind of hard because everyone's like you know they know me and I'm like I really don't know you like it's it's still kind of strange you know and I don't know I think it's hard when you go through like a, a similar story to people like you know I have a few different mental illnesses so I feel like everyone can kind of relate to me in like some way but I might not be able to relate to them completely in the same way and like I only have like one best friend in my life at the moment that I see regularly and there's a couple of other people that I used to be close with and have moved away that you know if I was living around them I'd probably see them regularly but I'm really really selective about the people that I let into my life because of a lot of like trauma and and just stuff I've been through before so you know for me it's like there's putting myself out there publicly and then there's kind of like personally so it's like you know this is who I am I don't mind like sharing my story but it's like you're not allowed to get close to me yeah okay can you share a bit of that story here is that all right yeah definitely um I like to call it like a creative take on living with mental illness I just kind of you know, I talk a lot about like where I've been, especially because I'm feeling quite all right at the moment um, and the things that I have been through in the past. Um, it's been a rough probably five to seven years um, of basically being in and out of the psych ward, um, you know, in and out of doctor's offices and therapy and, um, you know, medication changes, drug and alcohol addiction um, and diagnosis changes as well. And at the moment, they're sticking with bipolar disorder, borderline personality disorder, premenstrual dysphoric disorder, and generalized anxiety disorder are like the four that they've zoned in on for a while now. So that's apparently what I have. Um, I don't really care about the labels so much. For me, a label is just like a ticket to treatment. It's like if you have to call it bipolar disorder so I get the antipsychotics that I need, you know, I don't really care whether you give me any psychotics or not, but if that is going to keep me sane so I'm not hallucinating and hurting myself or someone else, like, great. I just want to live, like, a happy life. Um, so, yeah, I just kind of really post about the daily struggles of everything that goes with that. Um, I mean, you've been following my page for a little bit. What What do you kind of think about the content I share? I mean, there's like a level of vulnerability, which I don't see very often in many things. So I think a lot of even the people in the sort of mental health, sort of this mental health sort of sphere of like blogging and uh, and vlogging and that sort of thing. There's, I think there's often, I'm not sure what your ones, they, they seem, it, it's very intimate and it's very like, you're very, um, I think you're very open to like inviting people into the, the real the, the real shit bits but also like the journey and um i mean and and i, I think i like it that that it is really the journey i see like you sort of working things out and, and talking things and it's not like um sort of prescriptive like this is the answer you're like this is like my life is an experiment <laughs> of trying to work out like what works what doesn't work what works now what used to work and now isn't working and i, and I think i like that um 
I mean, what? Because that's what the journey is. Like, yeah. I, I think in one way, like, I don't talk about the stigma so much around mental illness. Like, I mean, I talk about how people treat me and stuff like that, but, um, you know, I think a lot of mental health accounts you see, it's like, you know, don't stigmatize mental illness. And it's like, we need to talk about mental illness, but it's like, I don't want people to remember the word stigma. Like I don't want people to only learn that there is a stigma and I don't like every poster I see is like, don't stigmatize mental illness. Like talk about it. And it's like, yeah, but how do we talk about it? Like, what are we talking about? And I kind of like to go from that point of view, like let's not even acknowledge that there's a stigma. Let's just pretend it's okay to talk about and let me just talk about it in the way that I think it kind of should be talked about the way that I experience it. And I kind of hope that people um, will by default not stigmatize it because then they can understand it. You know, whether you're going through similar struggles and you can relate and feel less alone, you know, you don't have to go through it alone like I did. Um, or feel like you're the only one in the planet going through it. I just think, you know, I want people to know what it's like every day because, you know, people pretend they know what, what it's like for me. They're like, oh, I've heard of bipolar disorder and, you know, they might be able to tell me some of the symptoms. But it's like, well, do you know what it's like to not be able to get out of bed? Do you know what it's like to be in debt because, you know, you can't pay your phone bill or you know, like the, just like the little everyday things that like fall apart and create this huge puzzle that's really hard to kind of put back together. Um, and it's just, I don't know, it's just way more complicated than anyone could sort of ever imagine. I, there's no way I would have believed someone telling my story before it all happened to me. Like, Yeah, I guess that's the hard thing as well. Like people you're the only one that can experience your life and knows about your life. So you can't really, and this is something I feel as well. I can't really tell people like how they're feeling and how they're experiencing their life. So I guess if like the best thing, to, if if you can be open and honest and authentic about what's happening with you, then it, it doesn't really matter if people are experiencing something similar to you or not, or if they're experiencing something completely different, but still struggling, they can still go into your work I think and take inspiration from like look like however crap things might seem like I can there's a I can I can go through it I can navigate it I can get through it so it's like yeah I think that's I mean that's the thing that I get from yours I don't have I don't have bipolar or like or I think any of the things that you have but I can feel very that the, the, there have been like put those labels but I feel there's a lot of it which connects very closely to experiences that I've had through my journey. So I feel like that's, that's something it, it, it connects, even if like not directly, it's, it, it encompass it captures like the, the human struggle. Yeah. And I think the human struggle bit is, you know, you know, kind of what can be universal, you know, like, you know, I struggle financially because I'm unable to work. Well, whether you're unable to work because of like a physical disability or a mental disability, or, you know, you just kind of don't have a job, you know, like the financial struggle will kind of be very similar with a lot of people or just, I don't know, just the struggle of getting through everyday life. You know, we all have issues with at least someone in our life, you know, and I think, I think in a way, like I just explore the emotions that we have. And I think we're all pretty emotionally retarded. 
Like we, we don't really get taught how to communicate our emotions and our emotional needs. And I think that just plays a huge part in our own human experience, you know, uh, one thing that I have not expected from this journey to gain, um, but I really have, is like an understanding of myself and, and an understanding of people, um, you know, sort of from a psychological point of view that I wish so many people understood. Like I've recently had to move home with my parents, which, you know, sucks because we've always had a shitty relationship, but I'm here and it's given me an opportunity to like actually get better and not have to, you know, sort of like work a shitty dead end job to make ends meet, you know, and just this never ending mental cycle of just fucking myself mentally. <laughs> um, but, you know, like that has been very eye opening in itself as, as well. Um, there's a lot of things that I can observe now from like a, a sort of a third party point of view and, you know, I can see that, that everything that happened when I was growing up is completely due to like their own issues. And, you know, I just, I really promote people to kind of be a scientist and be their own test subject because everyone is different. It's just a matter of studying yourself and getting as much knowledge as you can. Um, I always want to be the best version of myself and I don't like, I'm, I'm happy to be corrected. I'm happy for a, you know, a doctor or someone to theorize and be like, maybe it isn't that like, have you thought about this? And, you know, sometimes you're like, yeah, wow, that does make sense too. Cause you only know what you know until you know something else. Yeah. That's yeah. That's true. That's yeah. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I think that's part of it as well. It's like that, that, the struggle. I mean, I really understand the financial struggle. I think like, I like spend this year I spent a lot of time with my parents because I don't have anywhere I don't live anywhere I just like travel around because I realized to do what I'm doing and just go around collecting stories of people it's not a lucrative business (laughs) (laughs) but like it's because I couldn't carry on doing what I was doing before I needed to start doing this journey and I and I realized I couldn't afford to pay rent and do this I can't really like, I don't really work uh, f- like when I start working full-time I find it's, it it doesn't really work for my personality I guess like I get stressed and depressed and anxious and trapped and so anyway I basically had to just sort of try and realign to something which enabled me to do what I need to do but that's meant basically after years of being sort of independent, suddenly having to rely quite a lot on spending a lot of time in my parents' house. And that brings up all the like shit that I spent the last 10 years avoiding. Yeah. <laughs> but it certainly meant I've had to do a lot more inner work with myself to, to, again, to get to the point that like actually a lot of the shit the family shit is like it's not related to me it's like everyone else's shit but also in the wider world I find that is true and it really resonated what you said there I think like I spent so much time worried about what other people thought about me and then suddenly realizing hang on even if people are thinking about me which they're quite possibly not whatever they're thinking about me is a projection of their own shit really so it doesn't really matter and this idea this idea of comparison, it's sort of just a myth. Like there's nobody that's at 
exactly the same point in their life from exactly the same starting point at exactly the same age like from exactly the same background that doesn't exist that concept even like I look at my brother and sister who had exactly the same sort of family situation and they're completely different people to who I am and so I just think like um, it's a delusion really that you can compare yourself to anything or anyone can compare you to anything so that's quite a freeing realization oh definitely and when my sister was exactly the same we're only like 12 months apart and she had a completely different upbringing like I'm the oldest and you know I sort of stood up for myself like that's my personality it's like no you're not going to abuse me like that you can't that's wrong I know that's wrong you know whereas she was just like a timid I'll do what I'm told and you know cause the least amount of you know I'll just be invisible and I'm just like I I think I'm just a person that can't be invisible (laughs) like no matter how hard I try I just always seem to be like front and center but you know growing up I was like really good at school and sport like I was just that obnoxious like overachiever that just happens to be like good at everything that I think everyone else like wants to be friends with but they kind of secretly hate because they're just like how can she do it so easily and um so you know like that was me but when I sort of like left high school and you know I was at law school and I just got really mentally like fucked up and I ended up dropping out of law school but I think a lot of that was kind of like the expectation and, you know, like I was always going to be great. I was always told that I was going to be great. And I think I just became so fearful of my own shadow. And like, I was that, I was that kid that was like, I, I knew exactly what I wanted to do. You know, I was going to be a volcanologist and then I was going to be a veterinarian and then I was going to be like a journalist and then I was going to be a lawyer. And I took great pride in telling people what I was going to do with my life. And kind of when I dropped out of law school, it was like, I just, I just didn't know what to do with myself. And I hated that question. you know, people would be like, oh, what are you doing with your life? And you're like, oh, like I just got out of hospital. I tried to kill myself, you know, like I'm surviving. That's what I'm doing in life. And I think after a while, I got so sick of that question. People would be like, what are you doing in your life? And I'm like, oh, not much. And they're like, oh no, but like, what do you want to be? And I'm like, I want to be the most important thing anyone can be. And that's me. Like, I don't know who that is yet, but I'm figuring that out. And that's okay. Like we shouldn't have to be anyone else but ourselves. And that's a really difficult thing to, I think, to vocalize because I think people, other people, I mean, maybe this is a generalization, but I find people often just want a nice soundbite, (laughs) like, I think that's something my parents struggle with like what does Marcus do and they're like they just want to say like doctor lawyer uh <laughs> like I, I don't know whatever like and, and they like <laughs> and I've unfortunately presented them with this sort of conundrum of like they've never known what I do because I just make up shit and try and just essentially work out whatever creative ways I can do to be an authentic version of myself <laughs> and to do one. And that's, yeah. And like, I think they, yeah. Um, that can be hard to you say. Know what is, you know, it is a good one that someone, uh, a girl, a lady I met recently, she sort of was in, she had a lot of the same interest in me, like being an author and, and a motivational speaker and, and stuff like that. And she introduced herself as a storyteller. That's what I have on a, I have a card, which I never give to anyone, but it says, 
podcaster and storyteller. <laughs> so, yeah, it, it's good. I like that. I've been I've been saying that because I real I, I I mean I came to that conclusion because I realised most of what I do is either telling my story or telling other people's stories, and it's good. Yeah, so uh, that is a nice one. Uh, yeah, I think uh, I think we are all storytellers. I think like I think some of us are just like born with that kind of capacity. I think like I think honestly storytelling has it's like a, it's almost like a dying art form. And I think that's for a lot of reasons. I think we don't pass down knowledge as much. And I think we kind of went into this, like, you know, this really rigid education system where we stopped learning through story. It was like, no, you only learn and absorb what you, what we want you to know. And kind of anything that's outside that curriculum is like frowned upon. And I think the difference between, you know, storytelling and, like educating they can do the like a similar thing but storytelling's like I'm not forcing this on you I'm just telling a story and you can take what you want from it I think we're smart human beings and half of our problem is that we're not taught to think from for ourselves like we're not taught how to study the world around us we're just told what to study so I think that process is really what screws all of us up when we get to adulthood because we don't actually know how to do anything for ourselves or know how to figure out how to do anything for ourselves and you know anyone who doesn't fit into that like you know that structure that our school system kind of creates they're people like you and me that that do just kind of get lost and try and forge our own paths and we're just kind of like we're not like you guys we don't know what we are but like we're trying to figure that out <laughs> yeah that's good. I think I think that as well. That like the stories they can really. Um, I think throwing facts and figures at people just like doesn't do anything. I mean, I think that's sort of proven through like research as well, not just anecdotally. Like it doesn't like um, they don't stick. And I think like when you do those stories, you can really like get down into like the real sort of the human emotions and the and the stories and the interconnectedness of things. And as you say, like you can, it requires people to do the work themselves and I think like like facts and figures can be they can be eye-opening but they rarely like they rarely call people to action I think like I it's hard to quantify a number like you know I remember I don't know earlier this year I don't know if you saw on my page but like Instagram deleted my Instagram account for some reason like everything all of my social media got hacked and it's like a social media influencers like worst nightmare and like my Facebook got deleted and Instagram and, and YouTube and then I'm like trying to get it all back like frantically and I had like 75,000 Instagram followers at the time and I remember when I just like woke up and they were like gone I was like holy shit like that's they, they just disappeared but I remember looking up the statistics for the amount of people that commit suicide and 75,000 people commit suicide each month. And I was just like, wow, you know, like that amount of people that I had, you know, sort of brought into this little community and this little circles, they vanished overnight because Instagram like lost my connection with them. But those, that same amount of people could be dead right now. And that for me was really like a, you know, that, that visually quantified, you know, 
exactly yeah. how many people we are really losing um, to this fight. Yeah, I think that those sort of things are powerful. But I guess like the thing is like in the if you like you think about seventy five thousand people, then it's quite easy to go and then like make a cup of tea and like get on with your day for some reason. But if you think about like that one like one person like I don't know the that one person that is just one of those seventy five thousand and hear their story, I think that suddenly like it makes it harder to just sort of get on with your day it makes it you're like you suddenly have this like connection beyond the number to the person behind the number and i think that's a powerful thing as well but yeah like for sure like those i I do think that like statistics and figures really can sort of they do play a part but i then i really like to sort of grasp down to like what are like who are the people behind those numbers really I think, I mean, like the town that I live, the town that I live in in Australia has the highest youth suicide rate out of anywhere in Australia. So I've had like at least one friend a year. Um, there was three in the, the past year and a half, um, you know, take their lives, like people that I was quite close to, like everyone knows everyone. And, you know, it definitely has an impact when you kind of know someone and you can relate to them. And I think, you know, sharing those individual stories when you can put a name, when you can put a description, it's like people can picture it. Like there's so many different causes out there and they all have statistics. And I think people kind of get lost in this sea of awareness. It's like, you know, everyone's raising awareness for something, like whatever niche that they're passionate about. And I think a lot of the time those statistics can kind of, you know, just confuse it. It's like, why do we want to know about the, one in a hundred, you know, hundred people that do this when there's like one in two people have this. And, you know, it's like, I, I think people just kind of get overwhelmed and really sort of freak out sometimes. Um, and I know like when you read those little like Facebook stories, even about like the randomest stuff about like someone's goat or I don't know, whatever, you know, like you feel a real connection to that story because you can read it as if you were it. Like, yeah. It doesn't remind you. Yeah, I guess people do get overwhelmed by figures, and then it can be crippling. Like I, I need to. I know I need to talk about like sort of, I don't know, like male suicide. But I also need to talk about plastic in the oceans. I need to talk about like breast cancer. I need to talk about uh, like oh, and like and I, I guess there's so many things <laughs> to sort out, which are all in- interconnected. I think, but like it's, I guess it can be just this. Um, overwhelming sort of barrage of like how fucked up everything is that like actually I'd rather just watch Netflix <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and eat some ice cream or something and like I guess that's the so that's the challenge as well I guess is to like not like not overwhelm people and not guilt people into thinking like this is this is the one thing that you need to care about more than everything else but also provide an en- an entrance into that conversation as well at the same time and that's I guess that's something that yeah I think like how how to balance that is a question that I hold all the time but um and I haven't answered <laughs> but and maybe never will but will always experiment of how to, yeah I think like you know one thing that I find really awesome about mental health is like people always like how do you help someone with mental illness and I'm like it's really simple you just shut up and listen you know I don't it doesn't cost money, you know, like you don't 
have to make a donation to help someone with a mental illness, just a simple conversation, just a simple smile, like basic human decency. The amount of times I've been walking, like when I lived in the city, I'd be walking my dog down the street and I, I literally would just be contemplating throwing myself in front of the next tram or, or train. And, you know, I was just so depressed. And then, you know, all these people are rushing by you and like no one even notices you. And then like one person might just smile at you and you're kind of just like, oh, and like suddenly you're kind of like, you know what, I, I'm not going to kill myself today. You know, just just something like that. Like you never know when a little smile or, you know, a simple kind of hello or asking someone, you know, if they're okay, uh, you know, like it, it can seriously save a life. I think any conversation about mental health, whether it be small or big, can can really save someone's life. And I think leading by example in that is a big way. You know, when people ask me how I'm going, like I don't push the whole mental health thing on them. But I'm kind of, you know, I'm just like, yeah, no, pretty good. I was like a bit anxious this morning, but, you know, like feeling a lot better now or just something like really casually and they can kind of like skip over it if they want. Um, but a lot of the time it really, you know, it's, it's like that key that unlocks the door where they're kind of like, oh, wow, she said like a mental health term, like, and that invites them in if they want to, you know, discuss something. Like when I started this journey, I didn't know anyone that was mentally ill. I mean, or I didn't know anyone that, you know, recognized as being mentally ill. Like, so I had no idea what to do and where to go. And that was quite a few years ago, I think, before this whole, like, really big mental health movement started probably in, like, the last maybe four years or something. So why why do you think it is, um, why do you think it's so hard for people to listen to that sort of stuff? Or why do you think people don't know about listening? <laughs> I mean, it seems like a stupid question, really, but I do think that listening isn't something that we're really taught how to do. Definitely. I mean, I think, I don't know if it's about being taught, like maybe it is, but I think everyone wants to be heard, but not many people want to listen. And like most of the time, if someone's listening, they're just thinking about what they're going to answer. So they're not actually like being clear and like absorbing everything that's coming into them. I don't, I don't know whether or not you can like teach that or, you know, I don't know how you could like change that. But I think part of like the whole mental health thing is, yeah, people don't know how to talk about it. But people also kind of think it's like contagious. You know, it's like it's like one of those things where it's like, oh, that happens to like those people. It's like the the idea of like waking up one morning like I did and just like losing your sanity is just so terrifying that if that can happen to anybody, like imagine what a like a widespread panic that would kind of create. It's like to justify it it's like that person is effective in some way or they've done something for their life to turn out like that because I think we still believe that like if we do good and we we do the right thing you know like not many bad things will happen to us in our life so to just know that there's something out there like such a severe illness that everybody claims to have you know who's going through like really tough times it's like 
they don't like acknowledging it is acknowledging that like it could happen to them at no fault in their own. And that's a really scary thought for people to have. Yeah, that is a scary thought. But um, yeah, so so in a way, as people like think that by ignoring it, then it, yeah, it just won't happen to them. So it's one of those things that like it's, sometimes it's it's, people only get interested in the subjects when it does happen to them so then like they're not prepared well I mean I I feel from my personal experience I guess that was true I mean if I look back on my life like depression has definitely been something that has been a key feature of it for for many many years but I just didn't ever have the vocabulary to understand what it was but also I didn't want to be like this broken fucked up person so I just believed that if I just went out drinking and doing recreational drugs and partying and and just sort of making all my mental focus on believing that everything was fine then everything would be fine (laughs) and uh, and it wasn't was it <laughs> like, you know what like strangely that didn't work <laughs> like, yeah. it works for so many people but it didn't work for me no I mean that's a yeah I mean it's a ridiculous way of doing it but I do feel that like if at the time I had sort of been more aware of a conversation around this sort of stuff that it wasn't just that like I was the only person in the world that was fucked up and I was the only person in the world that wasn't good enough and I was the only person in the world that like uh, like this 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 and this and actually I realized that like oh hang on these are like these are quite common things which a lot of people around me are experiencing but everyone's so like so scared of mentioning it because if you mention it it becomes true that we all think yeah. that everyone else is like like just having this like super amazing time and like I just like spent years just thinking like I missed the memo on how to do this. Like somewhere there must've been a time when I was younger, maybe at school or like maybe my parents were meant to do it or like, like my friend, like someone was meant to come and sit me down and say like, this is how it works. And I, and I looked around and I could just see like everybody else has their head screwed on. They know exactly how life works. And I'm just like, fucking paddling for my dear life under the water just thinking like I need to hold this together probably did that for like nearly 10 years before I stopped being able to hold it together at all (laughs) and now I like live in a van and drive around and record conversations but like but actually you're like the stereotype of like you know that kind of like mental breakdown that people like fear their children will have like you know yeah. it's like us it's like what? they had everything and they threw it all away and now they're in a van traveling around and they're like they're unemployed and they're they're like you know making music or podcasts so like <laughs> basically like well it's my projection of what my mum's head sounds like <laughs> but yeah I mean actually before I started this project right at the beginning like I already had the idea to do it but I wrote this long blog post about why I wanted to do it and one of the like I wrote like what what are the fears that are stopping you from doing it and why am I going to do it anyway and one of them was that like I will be a just a weirdy beardy man living in a van driving around talking about <laughs> crazy shit to people 
and actually looking back at that when was like I don't know when I wrote that like a year and a half or more ago um, and that was also my like worry for like a few years before that now if I look at my life I'm a weirdy beardy man living in a van walking around talking to people about crazy things but but actually like that was one of my biggest fears and it sort of came true and it's fine it's good I like it I'm much more content with what I'm doing now as that thing so it's a uh, I don't know I don't know what that means but it's uh but it's interesting do you like I mean I remember I was sitting in the psych ward once and my psychologist in there like I just spent like two months in the psych ward at this point mm. and I'm in there you know she says to me she's like is this was about five years into my journey and that feeling you were describing before I, I like to call that phase like drowning in the seas of mental illness that's like when you just get dropped out of that helicopter of the ocean and you're just like what the fuck is happening to me where am I what are like and you're just floating around aimlessly being like I just I'm not in Kansas anymore and I, I don't know like how to get home I don't even have those red shoes to like tap and like find my way home you know like Dorothy but um I remember like my psychologist said to me that I needed to stop thinking about what I'd lost and start focusing on what I gained and I mean like you know, I had kind of everything that I wanted. Like my life was going in my five-year plan. Like I graduated top of my class. I had a full scholarship to law school. Like, you know, I was working and I was like earning good money. So I had like, you know, everything that, you know, people should have, I guess, when they kind of, in inverted commas, when they, you know, leave school, everything society wants you to have and pursue in your life. But mental illness really took that all away from me. And you know, I hated myself for that. I was the same. I was like, why can't I just get my life together? Why can't I just be like everyone else? Why can't I be like the old me? I used to be able to do it and now suddenly I can't. And it probably four years after that when I was sitting in the psych ward and, you know, she's like, think about what you've gained. So I thought about it that night and, you know, I still couldn't think of anything that I gained until I looked back on my childhood and I was like, what did little me want? Like, what did little me want at, like, five, you know, ten years old? Like, what did she want to be when she grew up? And I remember I wanted to be a fashion designer. I wanted to be an author. I wanted to write a book. I wanted to be a motivational speaker. I wanted to be an artist and drawer and paint. And I wanted to change the world. And then when I thought about it, I was like, holy shit, there was that epiphany. It was like, because of my mental illness and because of all this shit that's gone on, my writing is better than ever. I'm writing a book, you know, I, I'm, my painting and my drawings are better than ever. Um, I'm giving speeches, you know, I, I am making clothes and, and stuff like that. And, you know, I've kind of created my own unique style from that sort of experience that I've gone through on self-expression. And like people kind of tell me I am changing the world with the work that I'm doing on social media. So it was that moment of like, I actually have everything that I ever had you know, wanted in life. And maybe this journey didn't take me off my path. Maybe it kind of put me back on the path that I should have been on, you know, in the beginning. That's interesting. So like, however, um, however sort of difficult, painful, whatever the, the, the actual, the experience of the mental illness is, there's, there's like in, you, you can actually look at that and see like that, it stopped me from living a life that I thought I should be living to living the life that I need to be doing. So like, although like it's, 
something I'm sure you wouldn't sort of wish on anyone. Actually, there's so much strength that comes out of that, that like allows you to become the person that you need to be rather than the person you thought you should be. That's good. That's, I think that's. Yeah, definitely. I think, you know, I like, I don't know whether you kind of believe in destiny. I mean, I'm writing this book called the story of a borderline princess and you know, it's about the princess kicked out of the castle. Like I was when I was 14 and, you know, I got into shitty relationships, um, you know, with princes and, and all that sort of thing. And, you know, eventually I just find my way to becoming the queen that I was born to be. And there's a chapter in there called the prophecy. And, you know, it's kind of talking about like fairy tales and, you know, how they always have a prophecy. But it's really funny, like if you look at fairy tales like, you know, Rapunzel or Sleeping Beauty, it's always like the father, for example, that causes the prophecy to come true. Like whatever actions he takes to stop the prophecy coming to pass is like literally what causes the prophecy to occur. So Sleeping Beauty, he got rid of all the spindles in the land. And then when she saw her first and only spindle, she touched it because she didn't know what it was. Therefore, the prophecy came to pass. And, you know, whether or not you believe in life as destiny, like I know everything I went through in childhood shaped me in very specific, predictable ways. So it's like, is there kind of a destiny for us, you know, based on our upbringing and based on the things that have happened to us in life? It's kind of like, you know, if something happens to you, then you know, it'll change you in a certain way. And if you add them all together, can we almost predict what path a person is going to take? No, I believe that. I mean, there's definitely, if I look back to like uh, the uh, an older version of myself, I would have said that's nonsense. But the, the, this version, I, I, I find it harder and harder to disbelieve things like destiny because if I look back at everything I've done, like I, I was actually, I was filling out a, application for something recently and one of the questions was like like to talk about a time where you failed and I was actually thinking like I can't I don't think I believe in the concept of failure at all like anymore like because everything that I if I try and look back at something which I would say was a failure like it's always led to the next thing and the next thing and so it's it it can't in that light it can't be a failure and I just feel that like I've just noticed that with everyone I speak to really like there's always seems to be this theme underneath that the 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 sort of the path that that they will end up taking but it seems to be more of a matter of not like when you'll like if you'll take it it's like when will you stop and listen and I think quite often with people that have experienced some sort of mental illness or some sort of uh part of that like very tumultuous part of their life I feel that's usually the the thing which has sort of jolted people to listen to so I I rarely speak to anyone that has gone through something really difficult that that won't say that like despite how shit it was I wouldn't sort of take that part out of my life and I think that's true for me like if I look back over my life and think like what are some of the key moments it's rarely like it's rarely the the sort of exceedingly like hyper excited moments. It's usually like the bits which are more difficult, which have led to the more the opening up of the the proper questions that I want to be asking. And I think that's true of a lot of people. Well, think, yeah. 
like you don't you don't fix something until it's broken you know like you don't you don't look into yourself like when you're kind of happy and everything's going well like why would you want to look in yourself and ask those big questions about like, am I happy? You know, is this what I want to do with my life? Like you only have that existential crisis when you're not content in what you're currently doing. And, you know, I think that's why it's like something is broken. It's not working. And, you know, you want to figure out what it is. And I think in that process, you go through a lot of things and, like, I think that's why it really annoys me when people are just like, oh, you know, you believe into the pharmaceutical conspiracy and, you know, like you're, you believe every word those quacks say to you, you know, just because I take medication and, you know, I I see a psychiatrist and a therapist and I'm kind of like, no, like I've asked all the questions. Like I've, I've seen a lot of different people and theories and I embrace a lot of them. It's just, that's one thing that works for me. So I've decided to kind of stick with that because it's continuing to work for me. But I also go through a lot of other um, like processes. Like I do like Qigong meditation. Um, I've done some holistic like emotional clearing courses and, you know, like everything has kind of helped in its own way. So, yeah, it does kind of annoy me when people like put me in that category because I'm like, no, something was broken and I did like, everything humanly possible to like figure out what it was you know I didn't know what it was at first it took me a really long time to figure that out and I think in that process that's where you go through that that self-discovery like for a long time I had a long list of things that were like yeah hell no hell no hell no hell no you know there was a couple of things that worked on that list for like a very you know long time and there was just this huge list of like that didn't work at all so what in those in that exploration, what do you think you found what did you find was broken? That was a lot. Um, you know, I think you know, there was a few different things. Like there was some biological, you know, things like bipolar, there's definitely just something, you know, with that bipolar brain where it's like, you know, a diabetic, it's it's always like over and under compensating. So any change, it's like there's a little control center and someone's just like, We're gonna hit that button. Oops, like we spilled too much sugar and now you're manic as all fuck. Or like, oh, we gotta get rid of it. Oh shit, now you're depressed as all hell. Um, so there's like that and the premenstrual thing as well. That's really period. But a lot of it was like, you know, going back to my childhood, a lot of the depression I felt and low self-worth, a lot of, and, and anxiety really stems back to that upbringing. And I think for me, like, yes, it was like physically abusive, particularly from my mother, but not in the way that most people would kind of see because it's like I didn't have big bruises and stuff like my mom's pretty little like she beat us all the time but like it was never like broken bones and stuff but you know the abuse that I suffered was kind of more like this psychological and emotional abuse and you know people don't recognize that as significant I didn't think that it was like abuse until my doctor started pointing it out but you know that was something I really realized during that self-discovery like there is a reason that I am the way that I am. Like my inner dialogue is so hateful and self-loathing because that's what like the, the household dialogue was towards me and around me. Like it was always this atmosphere of just tension and, and trauma and, and negativity. 
you know, so there, there was like so many things there, whether it was just the way, you know, they validated like results instead of effort. Um, you know, the way they always like negatively interacted, you know, it's like, it, there was never like, oh, good job, you cleaned your room. It was like about fucking time you did something about that mess. You know, and just like those little snippets of negativity that will always eat eat away at you. And just, you know, I notice that now I'm living back here. It's like they'll just stand in my room and just watch me. And it's just like, you know, every every time I turn around, they're here, they're there. And it's like I just constantly live in this state of anxious tension because I just feel like I'm being judged because they either don't say anything or they'll say something negative. So it's like you're constantly living in this state of like self-criticism and fear of like external criticism. And you just don't have this stable sense of self. You just, you're always wondering, am I a good person? Am I good enough? And you never actually feel like you'll achieve it because for me, like perfection was expected, but it was just completely unattainable. That was the short version. (laughs) That's good. <laughs> so do you Sorry. think, do you think what, what do you think living back with your parents now? Do you think, think that the work that you've done on yourself is, is helping you to navigate the situation now? No, I definitely think it's helped me. Yeah. Um, you know, which in turn somewhat like helps the situation. I don't think it's like ever going to change, but I do think that I'm a lot less reactive. So it's like, it's allowed, you know, it still affects me, but I'm working on it and not affecting me as much. You know, it's like my finger was always looming over that self-destruct button. Like every time I got triggered, it was just like, boom, self-destruct and just like destroy myself. Um, so, you know, I, I don't do that as often anymore. Um, but I definitely notice I, I have more of this kind of bird's eye view. You know, I've been able to kind of detach myself from it a little bit. Um, but that's you know it's taken a hell of a long time and a lot of therapy and a lot of understanding to be able to get to that point and I think you know my my fans on my social media has really helped me with that you know because it's like how can you feel so worthless when there's you know so many people that value what you have to say and you know it took a really long time to get there because you know, their opinion of me should mean a lot more than it does. But I think when, you know, the most important people in your life can't see your worth, even if there's like a hundred thousand other people that do, you know, it still doesn't count as much as those like two people that, you know, should love you unconditionally and think that you're the best, like no matter what. Do you think, what do you think if you, if you didn't have that, that, that at the social media following, do you think, how, how much do you think that um, that would change the situation? How about you feel about yourself? I mean, I think if I like if I lost them now, it wouldn't be like I it wouldn't be like a big deal. Um, like you know, I think they've played a hugely vital role in you know my personal development and you know the evolution of me becoming a better person and and the best version of myself. So I think taking them out of my journey completely, I would be a completely different person. I'd probably be like the same person. Um, I don't think I would have evolved so much over the last couple of years. 
so you know but if they kind of disappeared today I don't think it would be such like a big deal I think it would be hard if that prevented me from you know getting my books out there and, and doing the things that I want to do with my life um you know like if nobody wanted to know me anymore it's kind of you know it'd be like the same as you if no not one person wanted to interview anymore like you just be like oh I've devoted my life to this cause and now it's like now it's just not a thing you know you'd be super lost but um no I see that it might be like is there anything else that you feel like you'd like to sort of share on this like maybe sort of some of the stuff that you're doing something that you'd like uh, people to draw people's attention to something that really pisses you off I don't know anything <laughs> uh, if you'd asked me like a month ago I'd be like oh so much pisses me off but now I'm just like you know what just let it go <laughs> like I wish I could sing though like those frozen girls whenever I want to say let it go because that'd be fun like I'm putting my books out there um so I am really excited about that the story of a borderline princess and I've got seven volumes of the bipolar Barbie diaries which is basically you know it's sort of like a compilation of like my uh like my social media blogs but like um more in depth like my daily diaries so you know that that I think will be very different to kind of any other like like mental health books will be out there because it's like this is a really in-depth understanding of, you know, someone's life over kind of like five years of mental illness with like really daily struggles. And, you know, I think sometimes like there's so many realisations that happen so quickly in my head, like they don't all get shared. Yeah. So, you know, I'm really excited to be able to kind of put those out there and, and um, help some more people. But, yeah, I guess my advice to anyone is just, like, get to know yourself and don't be afraid of what you might find um, because only when you truly know yourself can you really begin to heal. So, you know, the quicker you can get to that point, the quicker you can just start building and, and healing and, you know, I think you have to become the best version of yourself. You have to be kind of full and healed to be able to live the life that you want. Like if, if you're not well, then your life is going to be like a mess and, you know, vice versa. So. Yeah. Nice. Do you still do any of the spoken words? I saw like a while ago, you had uploaded a few videos of you practicing. Like I think the one I saw you said like, oh, I've only been doing this for about three weeks, so bear with me. And then you did like a pretty like what I thought was pretty phenomenal <laughs> uh, spoken word piece. Yeah, which one was that? The like the one like yeah, like um, because I did a rap for like the rapper three sixty, which was like pretty funny, begging him for tickets. Um, after those couple, like I haven't done much like in the last month, but. As soon as I get my books published, then I'm actually going to like full on into a rapping career because um, one of the biggest rappers in Australia, like the biggest name right now, his rap coach um, has actually started helping me out. So um, I put it on hold while I get my books out because I just don't have the time. But as soon as I get them out, then we are just going like full steam ahead because um, it's so much fun it's just going to be so much fun. Like it's just another way to write and express myself. And I've kind of always wanted to be a little bit of like a superstar. So I feel like. Nice. Good. I, was, I liked it. I thought you were really good at it. And like in, in the summer, um, I mean, I, I write like a bit of like sort of poetry, which I never show anyone because I like just 
well, I should show people really. Um, uh, but like in the summer, I went to a work. Well, I thought I was going to a performance of spoken words in the evening. I thought like, oh, that looks nice. So I'll go to that. And I turned up and it was just at the point where I'd like put my bag down and taken off my jacket. And it was too late when I realized that actually it wasn't a performance of spoken word. It was like a workshop and everyone was in a circle with like a speaker in the middle. And it was like a participatory event for beginners, <laughs> luckily. And I was like, oh, it's too late to walk out. I need to stay. <laughs> so I had to stay. Yeah. And suddenly I found myself part of this sort of this spoken word sort of circle where we're going around doing it. And, um, and it was terrifying. Like it definitely accessed all, touched all my fear buttons, but it was amazing and it was liberating. And when I walked out of it, I thought, I'm so glad I mistook what it was because I definitely wouldn't have gone to that if I'd known what it was. It's the same for me. Like it's been something that, you know, I never even like thought of doing ever in my life. And, you know, I just, I just, I don't know. Like it's just, it's something else that I guess, you know, kind of my fan base and the people that engage with me have kind of created, have kind of coaxed out of me and like, it's really awesome and it's really exciting. Um, I'll actually show you, do you want me to show you like one that I was working on like a little while ago without, I don't have any music here, but I can just like spit it freestyle without. Yeah. Let me see if I can remember how to do this one. All right. This is so nerve wracking. I've never done this like, like this before. All right. Um, Let's go. It's been a week, you're out of reach, and your room smells of bleach I can hardly eat. I can't believe just last week a team of artists made a masterpiece like Da Vinci. Now I'm staring at your altarpiece in disbelief, consumed with grief. I start my speech, an angel deceased now rests in peace. A life too brief, taken by a thief, a beast we both tried to defeat. I can hardly eat, I can't seem to start the week. There's no vaccine to unsee the things I've seen. I refuse to believe you're truly deceased. You found relief. Something like that. Well, that's great. I remember that when you were a superstar rapper. Uh. Yeah, you'll, you'll be like, I've got like the first, like, you know, bitch she ever did live. Cool. I've got her first freestyle. You'll make millions of it. <laughs> right, thank you so much. That was really good. That was really nice. I'm really glad you did that. Uh, that was nice to listen to that conversation again. It was really exciting. I really enjoyed it. Um, I'm going to try and get all my guests to do some spoken word at the end. <laughs> I don't think that would go down too well, but it's a really nice way to finish, isn't it? Um, anyway, thank you so much to Bipolar Barbie again. I'm going to put links down to all her stuff below, but yeah, search for her on Instagram um, and yeah, Twitter, YouTube, the usual places. Um, and yeah, no, her stuff's really good and I look forward to her books coming out um so yeah again like i mentioned at the beginning if you do like these podcasts then do please uh subscribe and rate and review them that does help me reach more people uh check out my patreon page uh that really helps me to fund this project to keep uh collecting stories about mental health and connecting people to spaces to talk about mental health so a link's down there as well to my patreon but the short link is bit.ly forward slash support marcus and then to find out more about what i'm doing with the project ministry of change in general uh, check out my website which is the ministry of change.org 
Again, everything is down, linked down in the description below. Um, but mainly, thank you very much for coming. And I've got a few more exciting podcasts that I've recorded recently that I'm looking forward to uploading. And so I will be back with you soon. Thank you very much.